0: Make that happen. And our prayer is that uh, some of these things ha- are not just ending now uh, at this point because the summer's over. Some of these things will continue. We'll continue to partner with the church in Haiti. We'll continue to pray for and see how God's going to be at work uh, to restore the Denver house and continue to pray for Reg and Kim as they get ready to uh, hopefully in the next four to six months um, head over to the country of Austria. I was in fourth grade, and his name was Doug Sutherland. Um, Doug had kind of shaggy blonde hair. He was pretty athletic and uh, liked by the girls. Um, I had red hair, glasses. I was shorter than all the girls, and none of them noticed me. And so I was the ideal target for Doug's teasing, taunting, we would call it now bullying, and maybe a subtle form of torture, so whenever the teacher's back was, was turned, something was coming at me. Whenever we were in recess or gym class, a ball was coming at me, and if my um, head wasn't turned, it would hit me in the back of the head. If my head was turned, it would hit me right between the eyes, shattered my glasses one time in the process. So um, Doug was always coming after me. Unfortunately, what Doug did not know is I had developed this skill, because I had a younger brother. And I developed this skill in baiting my younger brother to come after me and do something to me right when my parents turned around and they would see it happen. And guess who got in trouble? My younger brother. And so one day, <clears throat> Doug had been warned by my teacher, Mrs. Adam, He'd been warned by the principal, Mr. Fisher, leave. The, everybody called me Jonathan. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Don't go near him at all. And one day we were walking down the hall, and I saw Mr. Fisher come around the corner, and I set the trap, and I baited Doug, and Doug took a swing at me right in front of the principal. And that was the last we ever heard of Doug Sutherland. He was gone forever, Um, (laughs) from my life at least, but... I don't know how many of you have been subjected to that kind of thing uh, in your in your school setting, maybe in your home setting when you were growing up. If you were not the oldest, you likely experienced that from your older brother or older sister in some way. We've all, uh, if you're the oldest, you've been the recipient of dishing it out. If you're the youngest, your younger ones, you've been the recipients of receiving those things. Um, But there's a lot of kinds of a lot of forms of torture that go beyond that. We know that those that are individuals that are in conflict. Uh, that are in war, they face that in a very serious, life-threatening way. Um, but there's another type of conflict or torture that takes place. It's much more subtle. Uh, it's, it's more emotional. And I observe it and experience that as I interact with husbands and wives where sometimes there's an emotional, emotional torture or conflict that takes place or maybe parent-to-child where it takes place. It's not visible, but you see the effects of it in people. A couple months ago, we noticed that our dog, Casey, um, was scratching a little bit more than normal. Dogs just do that. They scratch, you know, all the time. But she was doing this a little bit more than normal. And I had, we had navigated fleas before, so I rolled her over, looked all over her belly, see if I could find any fleas. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't find any. I don't know why, but I couldn't find any. Uh, I've seen them before and taken them off, and we treated her. But I thought, okay, well, we'll give her the flea and tick treatment, which we did. And uh, we'll wash her bedding and wash everything that wash everything that we had. And it was still obvious to us that there was still a problem. She was still scratching excessively. She was still biting in ways that um, were unusual for her, but we couldn't find it. All the signs were there, but we couldn't see what was taking place. And this morning we're going to talk about a form of torture that's a little bit more like that. We're not going to talk about physical torture or bullying. We're going to talk about a torture of the soul. A torture of the soul. We're going to talk about something that's much more subtle, much more hidden, but affects a lot of people. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this phrase, and I want you to say it with me together. Let's say it together. We are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. We're not a body with the soul. We're a soul with the body. The body that we live in is, you might want to view it as a house. And there's going to come a day for all of us where that house is no longer going to be functioning, no longer going to be needed. And, but our soul, the deepest part of who we are inside, lives on forever. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to get everything you want, but lose your soul, the deepest part of you? Our culture focuses on our body, on the house, on taking care of the house, on making sure the house is in good shape, on, on detoxing the house, but it doesn't pay a lot of attention to the soul. And over the last few weeks, we've been paying attention to what would it look like for us to detox our soul. We talked about the restless soul. We talked about the heavy soul. And, and this morning, we want to talk about the tortured soul. You know, there's lots of people that come through the doors and they look good on the outside, but there's something going on deep inside. They smile when you say hi, and they say, when you say, how you doing, they say good. But there's something deep inside that is torturing their soul. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 7 when he said, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I can't. What I hate, that's what I'm doing. And that's the picture of the tortured soul. What I want to do, I can't. What I hate to do, I keep going keep doing. The, the struggle to not, the struggle to stop sinning, the struggle to break something, a habit in our lives is not something new. It's something anybody who's alive knows about. You recognize something wrong is wrong, you know you should do something about it. Maybe you talk to God about it, you confess it to God and then you promise not to do it again but it happens again. And your shame overwhelms you and you hide it and it goes underground and then it happens again. And inwardly your soul is tortured because of what is taking place. Peter puts it this way He says, Friends, and I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, he said, which wage war. He, Peter says, There's a battle going on inside of you, there's a conflict. This is not just something that, um, you know, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Peter, Peter says, There's a war going on inside. There's a war raging that will either take you down or you will survive. One or the other. One or the other. But it's not something that's like most wars. It's a battle of our desires. It's a battle of our desires. Battle deep within us. What tortures your soul? What tortures your soul? I want to suggest two things that torture your soul. The first thing is we are tortured by sinful things we have done. We are tortured by sinful things we have We had done. David said it this way in the Psalms. He says, Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body, there's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. David said, I am physically aching inside, sick to my stomach. I've got migraines. My bones are just aching. And he said, Not because he had the flu, because he stayed up too late. He said, Because of my sin. And then he goes on to say, My guilt has overwhelmed me. It's too heavy. It's too heavy. His emotional well-being. He had become paralyzed by his sin. Paralyzed by it. Do you remember the first time you ever got caught? Maybe not the first time you got caught sinning. Maybe the first time you didn't get caught. You didn't get caught when you did something wrong. And you hid it from a parent, from a teacher. I'm a grandparent. You hid it. And you knew it was wrong. And you knew you should do something about it. But it was easier to keep it underground and keep it hidden. You know, one of the sins that we've talked about here on several different occasions that many people struggle with today is the sin of pornography. Pornography. And we've talked about how that sin can easily be taken in, something that looks so good and looks so enticing, but deep inside, you have this sense that there's just something not right about that. And what's the result? The result is you carry this secret sin inside of you. Statistics say that over 50 percent of men and 25 to 30 percent of women carry this deep inside of them, where nobody knows it's a struggle. It's hidden, and it's torturing their souls. I had a recent conversation with an individual with an organization who hires pastors and it asked them this question. They said, how do you deal with candidates that you're being considered for churches, church leadership, and the issue of pornography? They said, anybody under the age of 40, we just assume, has had a major struggle or addiction. It's a consuming, overwhelming struggle. But it's not just pornography. It can be any type of Desire gone bad. Overeating could result in bulimia or anorexia. Overspending, addictive behaviors where you've got to smoke something, take something, drink something, watch something just to survive. And it's all hidden. It's all hidden. The point is what happens when you start down this path and you hide it. And then your soul is tortured. There's a second reason that I think our souls are tortured. The first is because of sin that we've committed. The second is because of lies that we believe. Because of lies that we believe. What do you say? Lies that we believe. One of the things that the Bible says is that that Satan is alive and well. And that one of the things that Satan does is he whispers lies to us. Jesus said this in John 8. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Speaking of the devil here, he's a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We're tortured because of lies that we believe. And often we can't see these lies. These lies are a little bit like the ticks that I, the fleas that I couldn't even see in my dog, but I could see the the results of it. I could see something was bothering her because she's still scratchy, she's still tortured, but I couldn't quite see what it was, and I couldn't do anything about it. At least I didn't think there was anything. I could do about it. Craig Rochelle, the author of our study, tells a story of uh, the church that he worked at. And they had multiple staffs on multiple sites. And so one of the things they did to build team camaraderie is they, uh, they played a capture the flag game. And so they would put a flag somewhere in one office and then the other team had to concoct some type of a scheme to find that flag and then capture it and take it to the other office. And it got a little bit out of hand in late night raids and stuff. So they had to limit the, 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 the search between 8 and 5 during office hours. So one day Craig was coming into the office and he just had this kind of sick sense, you know, like this pastor sense. There's somebody in the building other than me. And so he, he goes around, he starts opening the doors. Open the, he opens the doors and sees one of the other pastors from one of the other campuses, slams the door shut and holds it tight. And he says, what are you doing in here before 8 o'clock? You're not allowed to be in here. You're going to be stuck in this closet all day. And the guy's like, no, no, don't leave me in the closet. So he held it shut until some of the other office mem- office staff came in. He said, give me a chair. And so they got him a chair. And this guy's whining inside. He's like, no, no, don't leave me in here. And Craig's like, we're leaving you in here till 5 o'clock. This is going to be your punishment. And the guy's like, no, no, don't leave me in here. Don't leave me here. Well, guess what Craig did? He never put the chair underneath the doorknob. He just set the chair next to the door. And the guy never tried the doorknob. He never tried the doorknob. The whole staff, they're just dying laughing. The guy's whining and complaining inside. Craig's like, no, you're staying here. This is your punishment. You're in here from 8 to 5. You will stay here till 5 o'clock, and then we will release you out of this closet. The whole staff's just dying laughing. And then the guy's whimpering. No, you can't leave me in here. I have stuff to do. What if I have to use the bathroom? You can't leave me locked in this closet. He never tried the doorknob to get out of the closet. Everybody goes off to work. The guy thinks he's locked in the closet. About an hour later, Craig's in his office counseling with someone. They're at this deep emotional uh, crisis point and he hears something scratching in the ceiling tiles above his office. And then he sees a tile come up and this face popped through the office. And the guy had climbed up on the shelves, climbed through the ceiling, was trying to find a way out. He never tried the doorknob to get out. What did he do? He just believed the lie that that chair was underneath that door and he never tried to find a way out. And one of the reasons our souls are tortured, and we're going to talk about a way out a little bit later in the message, but one of the reasons our souls are tortured is because of these lies that we hear, these lies that are whispered, that come from the deceiver, the evil one, from Satan himself, that are not true about us. Satan says, if anyone knows your secret, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. They wouldn't want anything to do with you. Your spouse, your girlfriend, your small group, your pastors, they knew your secret. They wouldn't want anything to do with you. The enemy says, you did blank, and so you are blank. You failed, and so you're a failure. You're a failure. And what happens over time? you start to believe these lies often these are lies that have been said to you by someone else sadly and tragically it often comes from a family member a parent maybe a teacher or a coach lies that you're worthless you're stupid you're lazy you're dumb you're worth you're a screw up you're ugly lies, lies, lies. And over time, you start to believe those things to be true about yourself. And your soul inside feels tortured. So what do we do with our dog? Well, I took the dog to the vet and uh, the, dog, the vet got out this special comb and combed the the dog's hair in such a way that it could go through both layers of her coat. And as they combed the dog's hair through both layers of the coat, and she brought it over to me and she said, take a look at this, and I could see a flea the exact color of her coat, smaller than the flea I've ever seen before. And he said, it's there. This is what's torturing your dog. And they gave me special medication, special soap to wash her. Flea-bombed the room, washed everything out. Why? Because we wanted to free her from being tortured. And these things that torture you, whether it's sins from your past, whether it's lies that you believe, God wants to free you. He does not want you to live in those. He does not want you to live in them. So what do you do with a tortured soul? What do you do with the tortured soul? Well, two weeks ago, we talked about a restless soul. A restless soul. And I gave you a phrase for the restless soul. Um, To the restless soul, you say, and let's say it together. What do you say to the restless soul? Be still. And then we talked not only about the restless soul, but then we talked about the heavy soul. And we talked then about the heavy soul, the soul that's weighted down with the struggles of this world and this life, can't figure out how to face them, how to navigate I had a phrase to say to the heavy soul, and to the heavy soul, let's say it together, you say what? Hope in God. And so this morning we want to look at what do you say to the tortured soul? What do you say to the tortured soul? The first thing I would say to the tortured soul is this, it's better to confess your sins than it is to hide them. It's better to confess your sins than it is to hide them. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. Whoever conceals it doesn't prosper. You know, this is one of the benefits about social media today. Um, there's a lot of negative things. One of the benefits about social media, you see someone who, you know they're corrupt, you know they're not. it's not right, you know they shouldn't be doing that, and you're like, whatever happened to that guy, and guess what happens over time? That man or that woman, it, it comes out, what? There was something corrupt about them. There was something corrupt. They were hiding, they were, they were cooking the books, they were making deals behind the Behind the closed doors, and it eventually, eventually came out. And they find themselves ruined financially, relationally, even physically when it comes out. But look at the second half of this verse. The one who confesses and renounces them, what do they find? What do they find? They find what? Mercy. They find mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. When you've done something wrong, when you've blown it, when you've messed up, what do you deserve? You deserve consequences, right? You do know, somebody coming down. This is what you did. This is the price to pay for what you did, right? But when you when you confess your sin, Solomon says, and you renounce them, you experience mercy. I don't know about you, but when I know I've blown it and I come clean, whether it's to my wife or my kids or or the staff that I work with or friends of mine, and I come clean and I I finally have the courage to say, you know, I really messed up and this is what I did. And they say to me, thanks for doing that. We're all good. There is like a weight that just rolls off my shoulder and I'm like, thank you. Thank you. There is nothing like receiving mercy. There's nothing like receiving it. And what Solomon says is he says you have to deal with this because if you don't deal with it, it will wreck your life. It will wreck your life. If you hold it in, it's going to poison you. If you let it out, it'll free you. If you hold it, in, it's going to poison you. If you let it out, it'll free you. How many of you have ever had food poisoning? Let me see your hands. How many of you have ever had food poisoning? A bunch of you. What happens when you eat something and it's got some, it's, there's something not right and it's poison, what does your body do? Does your body say, oh, that's good, let's hold on to this? No. What does the body do? Gets it out, right? Any way possible, any hole in the body possible, it's all coming out, right? Everywhere, simultaneously, multiple places, you know. Doesn't say, let's take turns. No, it's all, you know. It's what the body does, right? Because the body knows if it keeps poison inside for very long, what will the body do? It'll die, right? It's done, And so the body knows it can't keep this inside. But why would we keep these secret sins in our soul and not think it's going to kill us? It's going to kill us. It's going to poison us. Unconfessed sin is poison to the soul. Unconfessed sin is poison to the soul. Please don't underestimate what will happen to your soul if you keep this stuff hidden. You say, John, who am I supposed to confess it to? Confess is to say the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm confessing. I'm saying, okay, I did this. I've been caught. I did this. The first thing you do is you confess it to God. And you confess it to God for forgiveness. For forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says this. If we confess our sins. God is faithful and just. It doesn't say He will punish us for our sins. It's not what it says. It says He will do what? He will forgive us of our sins and purify that's to make clean from all of our unrighteousness that's the amazing thing about god the amazing i I can't do that somebody blows it when they come you know the first thing i'm thinking okay what's coming down what's the hammer coming down you know i don't first think mercy i don't first think forgiveness but that's what god does And God says you need to bring this stuff to Him. You need to confess this stuff to Him. And you need to cry out to Him. Because you know what God's going to do? God's not going to forget it. He can't forget it. He knows everything. It's always happened. All simultaneously. But what God's going to do is God's going to bury it so that it never ever comes up again. How many of you have this story that gets told at family gatherings about you? Maybe when you were a kid or when you did something embarrassing. It just gets told over and over and over again. Let me see your hands. How many of you have had that happen over and over again? You're like, would you please bury the story, right? Can we please put this thing to rest and nobody bring it up ever again, you know? But they do. They just keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up, you know? But that's not what God does. That's not what God does. God buries that, and he never brings it up to us again. No charge, no guilt, no consequence. If you are one of Jesus' children, if you are one of his followers, one of the benefits of being a follower of Jesus is he takes all of that sin, he took it all on the cross for himself, he paid the penalty once and done for all of that so that you can be free. The first thing he says to do is confess it to God for forgiveness. The second thing is to confess it to people, to confess it to people for healing. You say, what people, John? Am I supposed to just go on social media and post my sins? My pastor said I should confess all my No, 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 no. No, you're not supposed to do that. But you're supposed to confess it to someone. You're supposed to confess it to someone. Actually, the verse says, let me go to the verse. There we go. Confess your sins to each other to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's that last word, say that together? So that you can be what? Healed. Healed. There is something powerful. There is something life-changing that happens when I have the courage in the safety of a circle of relationships of people that I love, that I trust, that I feel safe with, and I say, you know what? I blew it this week. I blew it this week. There's some kind of healing that begins to take place in that experience. And that's one of the reasons that we talk about groups so much because we think that they have the potential to become a safe place where you can be honest about your struggles, where you can find accountability, where you can find mercy and grace from people that will walk with you and not point the finger at you and they will be... God with skin onto the bones to you. To you. The day you confess your sins might be the hardest day and the best day of your life. The day you confess that secret sin might be the hardest day and the best day of your life. Not everything to everybody, but everything to somebody. Not everything to everybody, but everything to somebody. And you the mark of people who are... Um, growing in their faith, who are growing in their love for God, is not simply knowledge and information. It's people that when they do something wrong and they realize it, they take care of it. They confess that sin, they make it right. And there's a very short window between there. We call it you keep the accounts really short. There's nothing on the list. There's nothing on the list. So the first step towards that is to confess, don't keep it hidden confess it but the second step to dealing with the tortured soul is not to just not to keep it hidden but the second step is to accept the fact that Christ will set you free and this is to confront the lies that you believe because you feel like you're stuck you might feel like you're stuck this morning you might feel like you've tried You've tried. I've tried. John, you don't know how many times I've tried to stop. You don't know how many things I've done to try to stop. You don't know how many. There is no way I can stop. I am stuck. It's just my curse. And God says, No. He says, Christ will set you free. He says, greater is he that is in you, God's Spirit, than he, Satan, that is in the world. He said, if the Spirit, if this Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. He said, but John, I feel trapped. I feel stuck. What do I do? I think Paul talks about this well in 1 Corinthians 10.13. He says this, he said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. The first thing you recognize is you are not the only person with this struggle. Every struggle that every person in this room is facing, other people are in that struggle. Other people are dealing with that struggle. You are not alone. That's a lie from Satan. You are the only one struggling with this. No one else is as bad as you. That is a lie. He says it's common to man. We all struggle. We all struggle. We talk about it often around here. We say that part of what God wants us to understand is that we are broken people. We are sinful people. We are not good people who occasionally mess up. We are sinful people that occasionally get it right by God's grace and His mercy. He says our struggles are common. He then goes on to say, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That verse doesn't say that God will not give you more than you can bear. He might. He won't give you more temptation than you can handle. He will not make your temptation greater than you can handle. You say, it is too great, I cannot. That is a lie. God says he will not give you more than you can handle. He will not. He then goes on to say, when you are tempted... He will provide, say that with me, a way out. Say it again. He will provide what? A way out. A way out. God always provides a way out. God always provides provides a way out to believe that there is no hope, to believe that there is no way out. That is a lie that Satan wants you to believe and wants you to hold on to, to keep you trapped, to keep you in bondage, to keep your soul tortured, and so that you don't experience the freedom and the hope and the joy and peace that God has for you. He will always provide a way out. Say, John, I don't know that I can believe that God will provide a way out. In the middle of the verse it says there in the middle of the verse it says God is what God is faithful God is faithful even when I am faithless he is faithful even when I don't believe it for myself he is faithful you don't have to live in bondage because he will provide a way out In the Star Trek movies, one of the things that the Star Trek commanders would do sometimes to get themselves out of a difficult situation, when they were stuck, they would often say, switch to what? Hyperspace. And it would launch them out of that difficult situation that they found themselves in. And that's what God says He will do. God says, I will launch you out of that situation. I will move you away from it in some way. That might be advice from a counselor. That might be God intervening in a supernatural way. That might be God exposing your sins so that you get the help that you need. God will make a way. You don't have to live with a tortured soul. If you feel like you are in the closet with that hidden secret Don't believe that there's a chair underneath that door. Don't believe there's a chair underneath that door. Just turn that doorknob and open that door. God does not want you to stay in this. He wants you to break free from these habits and patterns and addictions in your life. And today can be the first step by you believing that Christ will set you free. That belief doesn't eliminate all the pain and struggles. The reality is is you're going to need help to walk down that road and experience that freedom on an ongoing, permanent basis. But God says, I want to offer this freedom to you. One last verse, 1 Peter 2. Peter says this, speaking of Jesus, He bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by His wounds. You have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray. You now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And as we close this morning, we're going to take a moment just for you to talk to God. For you to meet with God. And I don't know what's going on inside of you, but God does. God does. And there's a part of you that's feeling tortured this morning. I want to invite you to do a couple things. I want to invite you, first of all, just to simply say, God, this is something that's been going on in my life. It's been a secret. I've been keeping it from mom and dad. I've been keeping it from my spouse. I've been keeping it from all my friends. Nobody knows about it. I'm just going to come clean. I'm going to confess this to God. And second of all, to determine to stop hiding and say, I'm going to confess this to other people's. I don't know when, I don't know how, but God, I've got to talk to someone else about this so it comes out of the closet and comes into the light. It's tough for me, but I want to believe that Christ will set me free. And God, I'm not sure how, but I'm going to ask you to somehow make a way today. Somehow, God, can you make a way today? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to leave this up on the screen And if one of those four things relates to you today, would you just take a moment and talk to God about that right now? God, it's so easy to believe that there's no way out. It's easy to believe that I'm stuck in this and there's no hope. Just after the first service, I talked to someone who said, John, what do I do? It just seems hopeless. God, I pray this morning that we would would all start by saying, God, I don't want this stuff in my life to be hidden I don't want it to be a secret any longer it has to come out and that they would take that first step of confessing it to you and believing that you are faithful and just and that you will forgive them now that step seems easy compared to confessing it to others Because we don't believe we're worthy enough to be forgiven. So we still walk around with the shame and the guilt because of our sin. God, I pray that you would continue to create circles of people who open their arms for one another and admit we're all broken all need jesus we can't do this life on our own and for those that don't believe there's any way out god i pray that you would show up in their lives today that you would show up in an unmistakable way and make a way Somebody wants to live the tortured soul. I pray that this morning we would come clean. We would accept what you have done. That you have paid for these sins. And now you offer us this freedom. If we would come to you that we would break free from the lies that we've been told. The lies that we've come to believe that have paralyzed us and changed our behaviors that we would find freedom from those God God we can't do this on our